You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hey, good morning, good morning, or afternoon, or evening, or wherever you are. Uh, man, my name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Refuge. For those of you that are new with us, Refuge is a church plant in South Austin. We exist to make disciples that shape our communities with the love of Jesus. Uh, we're in the pre-launch phase, and so that means we're hoping to launch or start the church, uh, hopefully early next year, late this year. Uh, all that kind of is dependent on this whole COVID situation, what that looks like. But, uh, man, we want to say welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. We deeply appreciate it. Hey, if you're interested in learning more about Refuge, joining our launch team, right, getting on board, seeing how the Lord can use you as he uses us to make a difference in this community, I want to encourage you, hit that connection link in the video description. Uh, Man, that is the fastest and easiest way to uh, get in touch with us. Let us know how we can pray for you, connect with local members of our church family where you are, uh, and just see what we have coming up. And so we look for to hearing from you. Again, thank you so much for joining us. What we have going on right now is we're fixing to be jumping into the Word, okay? And uh, I'm really excited uh, because what we're, our topic today is close to my heart. Uh, we're actually going to be diving into the topic of unity, okay? Unity. Now, biblically, what unity is defined as, as is, is a oneness, a sense of being undivided together. Practically, what that looks like is really, if you could imagine your healthiest, best relationships, that's what it looks like. Okay, just like that, that really loving, full togetherness that you experience in your best relationships at their best, right? That's the idea of unity, not the absence of uh, conflict, but even in conflict, when we feel that sense of togetherness, that sense of unity. Now, the, the reason this is close to my heart isn't just because it's a great topic. It is, but it's also because if you were being honest and I were being honest, like, like that sense of togetherness has, has been a real challenge recently. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, but especially for us as Christians who are really told in Scripture that we're going to have and experience unity uh, and we're called to unity, it's been hard to really tangibly feel that for a host of different reasons, right? Of course, we're in the middle of a pandemic and, and we're not able to see each other, especially all together as easily. Man, how does unity work then, right? We're in the middle of one of the most volatile political climates that we've ever been in. How does unity work then? Man, we're in, in you know, like, like when we are able to get together, right, and we bring in different perspectives and views on what we're comfortable with and not comfortable with, safe and not safe. How does unity work then with rising relational strife because of increasing levels of anxiety and depression? How does unity work then? These are the questions that I hope we're asking. Um, these are the questions that I, I hope that we're, we're really pondering as believers, really hoping and wanting to have unity because this is critical. Right, right? Like all of us long for this sense of unity. We all long for a sense of relationship. We all long to be together. In fact, that's the reason why universally across the world, thoughts of suicide are increasing as people spend longer and longer amounts of time by themselves because we were made to be in relationships and in unified, beautiful, healthy relationships. And so what do we do right now where it seems like that is a struggle? Well, what I want to do this morning is to turn to scripture. 
to turn to scripture and to invite it into our lives, invite it to ask us a few hard questions, to challenge us in some ways, and ultimately to lead us to a place where we are healthily navigating and experiencing um, unity as, as scripture calls us to, right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to go ahead and dive right in. We're going to be covering the first 16 verses of Ephesians chapter 4, but right before we do, I want to take a step back before we start, and really open up an opportunity for us to explore Ephesians a little bit more. Okay, because if you didn't know, Ephesians is, is not necessarily like a story, it's actually a letter. It's a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. It's a part of a string of letters, right? From the New Testament, starting at Romans, after the book of Acts, through the rest of the New Testament, it's actually all letters from apostles, people like Paul, Peter, James, John, Jude, that are writing churches with sermons almost with like teachings. And so we're really diving, if you notice, chapter four in the middle of a teaching. Ephesians is six chapters and we're starting on chapter four. So we're diving right in the middle. And it's kind of hard to know what's happening in this text if we don't know a bit of the context, a bit of the themes that are taking place. And so it's one of the major themes, probably the primary theme that Paul is getting at in his letter to the Ephesians is the truth that our knowledge of God's salvation should change our relationships, right? That, that how we, we understand the, the salvation and the, the saving work of God should impact how we really interact and love and, and treat others, specifically those in the faith, but everyone. How am I getting that? Well, the first three chapters of Ephesians really cover the mystery of God's salvation, right? What God is doing in our hearts, how he's opening up our mind, opening our hearts, really saving us in, in Jesus' death and resurrection, taking us from death to life. And then on the other side, he's actually saying, hey, and here's what a life marked by this salvation looks like, right? To love each other, to treat each other well, specifically, right, other believers, but then moving to marriage and children and parents and, and, and employees and employees and, and all this stuff. It, it's this dramatic shift. And what we're stepping into is this middle part, the beginning of chapter four, where Paul actually takes these two concepts and, bring, and brings them together through like a coupling that, that's going to connect them. And that coupling is actually the idea of unity. Unity is going to be the thing that takes this knowledge of God's salvation and pulls it and then takes this, this treating others well and pulls it and combines them and says, here's how they actually work together. Okay, so that's what we're coming into. And so as we start in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, we're going to read and we're going to step into that right in the middle of that kind of pulling these together. And so chapter 4, verse 1 starts like this. Therefore, meaning coming from this news and all this teaching about salvation. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. Now, I want to take a pause right here because something important is happening. Right from the get-go, one of the main ways that Paul understands bringing these two things together is to introduce a concept that may be a little foreign to us as American Christians. It's the concept of living a life worthy of the calling we've received. What is the calling? Well, the calling is actually our faith, right? And the reason that may be difficult for us to understand is because for so many of us, faith is a gift, while here Paul puts it in the context of faith being a calling. And this word calling, this word calling, it really has two meanings. It, ha it means that you were put in a position to receive, um, God, what is it? To, to receive, uh, gosh, Lee, um, 
privileges. I'm oh, so sorry. Uh, to receive privileges and to receive responsibilities. Okay, so this word calling is this idea that our faith involves receiving privileges while also receiving responsibilities in our faith. Um, you know, this is really a foreign concept primarily uh, because as Americans, we treat faith with a lot of comfort toward privilege and, and a lot of foreign kind of like thinking toward the idea of responsibility, right? We come to church and we receive the sermon from the pastor. We, we judge whether we like the worship or whether we don't. We, we pick community groups all based on what fits us the most. And, and if I'm being honest, a lot of us pick a church based on how many privileges that church offers us, yet we oftentimes have a hard time understanding that faith comes with, with uh, um, um, responsibilities that couple with the privileges. And the privileges aren't separate from the responsibilities. They're really one and the same. It's not like uh, being a, a citizen of God's kingdom, being God's son or God's daughter is separated from something like evangelism. The privilege of being God's son and God's daughter also comes with responsibilities as being God's son and God's daughter. Having the privilege of joy in our faith comes with the responsibility of sharing joy with others. The privilege of hope comes with the responsibility of giving hope. It's one and the same. Paul's encouraging us, live a life that is worthy of the calling of the privileges and responsibilities we've received as believers and followers of Jesus, sons and daughters of God, citizens of God's kingdom. Now, right away, I know that this is kind of already getting touchy for some of us, right? Because the idea of accepting responsibility from God is scary because what it makes us think is we have to go and live life perfectly, automatically. You're trying to track through your head all the places you've checked the box right, and you're trying to see all the places you've checked the box wrong. But that's not what Paul's getting at. Paul's introducing us to a world, to a calling that is built on grace but motivated by conviction. A calling that is built on grace but motivated by conviction. Okay, that, that looks and sees the great grace and love of God and is compelled to live a life worthy of that salvation. And when we fail, we fall onto the foundation of grace that has been purchased uh, for us by Jesus, right? That pulls us, that, 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 that brings us back up and sends us back out to continue living out the calling he's given us. And so friend, do, do you see your faith as a calling? When you look at your life, do, do you really look at it and go, man, I, I see my faith as having the privileges that God has given me, but I also very much so understand the responsibility I have. Do people outside of your life look at you and think, man, that person lives with a certain sense of responsibility toward others in their faith? That's what Paul's inviting us to live a life worthy of the calling, the privileges and responsibilities you've received in following Jesus. Well, how do we do that? How do we live a life, though, worthy of those privileges and responsibilities? That's what, that's what verse 2 is all about, right? He says, live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He says, you want to know how to live a life worthy of that calling? Be humble, be gentle, be patient, Really think of all the best characteristics, again, in your best relationships, and that's what he's saying. 
right? I'm not going to break each one down, but, but think about your own relationships. The best ones are people that are humble, that are putting you before themselves, that are gentle, that are, that are lovingly correcting you when you need it, that are patient with you when you continuously sometimes let them down, right? These are all the most beautiful marks of the best relationships we have. And Paul is saying, do you want to know how to live out a life worthy of that calling? Do that. Do that. Be that. But here's the thing. These beautiful characteristics, as wonderful as they are, they don't do anything in and of themselves. They're really building blocks that take us to this other beautiful truth where it says, hey, all these things, they really are signs that you are, in verse 3, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And here's where I want to pause again, because really what Paul's doing now is he's going to lay the foundation for what unity is. Okay, by connecting unity to calling. He's going to take unity and take calling and say, see, these are one and the same. Unity is not just a privilege you receive. It is, right? Notice that, that gentleness, humility, patience, peace, love, these aren't the things that build unity. These are the things that keep or preserve unity. So unity is not something we create or earn. Unity is a privilege we receive from our faith. Yet the calling is not just privileges, it's responsibility, And so unity is not just a privilege, it's also a responsibility that we have, right? right, right. How do we keep the, the privilege of unity that we've been given? We keep it through being gentle, through being humble, through being patient, right? Right. It's this real, it's kind of tough if I'm being honest, because what it does is it, it puts ownership of unity on us instead of just the desire for experiencing unity on us. Right? It puts a mirror in front of us. And what happens is every time we take this ball of frustration with somebody and go, man, why has that person always got to be like that? They're disrupting our unity. Th- this responsibility throws a ball back at, us, back at us and goes, well, what are you doing in being compassionate to that person to build unity? Man, why does this person always got to talk to me like that? That reflection pops that ball back and says, well, how are you being lovingly patient with that person and inviting them into a more compassionate relationship with you, right? It puts us in a position where we are are constantly confronted, not just with the question of how can I experience unity, but with the question of am I living out the responsibility of cultivating unity? That's what Paul wants us to be in. That's the tension he wants us to sit in. He wants to see, oh man, you don't have to go create unity on your own, but you sure as heck have to participate in unity in order for it to be flourishing and your your relationships to be healthy. And let's be honest, man, this is crazy difficult. This would be difficult at any point in our lives, right? But you put us in the middle of a, a freaking pandemic and all this crazy stuff going on where for so many of us, our, our attitudes, our vision has been placed solely on ourselves during this season. And that works directly opposite to what Paul's calling us toward right now. Right? This self-centered vision that, that, that really begins to, to place the attention and the focus on us when everything he's calling us to do and everything he's calling us to be focuses on taking the attention off of ourselves and putting it on someone else. This season has really compelled a lot of us to be worried exclusively about ourselves. And so now the questions that we ask have a, this real tint of what's happening for us. Right? Like it's, man, 
the way that person talks, how it affects me, the way they act, how it affects me, how my, my work life affects me, how not seeing other people affects me, how not being able to go to church affects me, how all these dumb Zoom meetings affect me. And all the while, our vision is so squarely placed on ourselves that Paul would look at the situation and go, man, you, you, have, you expect unity from this and, and there's no way that you can accomplish it here. Right? This is a broad idea, but let, let's, go, let's go into these very unique, specific circumstances, right? We're, as I mentioned, we're in one of the most volatile political environments we've ever been in. And, and when we have and bring this, this self-centered vision and attitude into these conversations, we bring it in. And, and instead of being humble and being gentle and, and really kind of deferring to the other person in love and peace, we begin to have our ego puff up and go, man, that person is wrong. I, they need to believe what I believe. And then a standoff happens with two people that don't want to concede any ground. Right? The same thing happens in conversations about like coronavirus and hanging out or something, right? Like, like one group will be like, man, they're always scared and they, all they want to do is like do Zoom calls and I don't want to do that anymore. And the other side is like, ah, they don't ever want to do Zoom. They all just want to be out and about. They're so reckless. Like, like two people that instead of coming together and looking and saying, you know what, man, man I understand you have different preferences. Hey, it's, it's okay. We can do what you need. Don't, don't worry about it. I just want to spend time with you. There's this puffing up of ego as we bring in our self-centered attitudes that eliminates and, and takes away what Paul says we should be doing to create and foster uh, to, to keep and preserve the unity that God desires for us to have, that he's already given us. Ryder, maybe you are, I want to I be gentle here, okay? Because there are very, very real realities, right? It's a reality that people are experiencing more anxiety and depression, and, and those are very real things, but maybe you are on the receiving end of some of that, and, and instead of really being compassionate toward your spouse or roommate or friend or whatever the case is, right, the attitude is more, man, why are they so this? Like, they're always this way. It's just so infuriating. I never treat me right. I'm you know, you get lost in your own understanding of what the situation means for you. Yet what Paul is saying is each one of these opportunities, each one of these, these scenarios is an opportunity to bring in this, this lifestyle of humility and gentleness uh, and patience and forbearance and love and peace. These are the opportun opportunities where, where the unity we desire is not just experienced, but the unity we desire is cultivated by us. You see what I'm saying? And let me confess here, like, this rubs our humanity, just like so, all of us, no matter who you are. If you're anything like me, reading this and hearing this kind of makes you like spur back, like, dude, that's not fair. Right? Be because, like, like it, how, how am I supposed to just keep giving of myself and all these people? What if they just never give anything back? And if I'm being honest, that, that's kind of the point that Paul's making. The word gentleness in verse two is most closely or most accurately translated as the word meekness. And it has a, a real strong connection to the idea of accepting persecution. That's the lifestyle Paul says that we're called to in order to preserve unity, to not just experience the privilege of unity, but to walk and cultivate the responsibility of unity that we have as believers, as followers of Jesus. And if this is where the story ended, I would totally agree that it would be really hard 
right? If we were just to say, all right, from here, bless you, here's your, your laundry list of things to do, now go out there and do them, it would be extremely difficult. But Paul doesn't leave us there. Ephesians doesn't leave us there. The Holy Spirit does not leave us there. Rather, Paul goes, look, I, I know that's hard, but, but I want you to see what, what the motivating factor is to live like this. Right? He goes into these, this string of, of one statements in verse four, where he says, it seems like a really sharp cut, but you'll see what happens here in a second. In verse four, where he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Just intense, right? Just bam, punch to the face. (laughs) Um, There's something really unique and special happening here. Okay, there's three phrases kind of captured by four capitalized letters uh, that, that we need to be aware of here. Okay, when you take a look at what's happening, starting in verse four, it says, there is one body and one capital spirit. Just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one capital Lord. That's, that's the word often used in this text for Jesus. So, so Jesus, one faith, one baptism, and one here, capital G, God, and capital F, Father, of all who is above all and through all and in all. When Paul lays out this really difficult teaching of here's how you preserve unity, here's the lifestyle you're to live, here's the actions you're to take, here's the self-sacrifice you're called to, he points us back to the motivation and says, but if you, if you need the boost, right, you're going to need the boost, and, and here's what it is. Look at God. Not just the idea of God, but the Christian God. Look at the triune God, the mystery of the Trinity, who in and of themselves live in perfect unity. Look at the Spirit, look at the Son, look at the Father. Look at how they together are distinct and diverse persons who who have different real jobs, yet they perfectly love one another. They're perfectly humble and gentle and loving, uh, you know, and giving to one another. The Holy Spirit seeks to exalt and glorify Jesus while only doing the will of the Father. Jesus desires all to come and to worship and submit to God the Father and and really offers and says, hey, but it's better if the Spirit comes and I go. God the Father is wanting to exalt Jesus and give him the name above every name while pouring out his Spirit generously onto his children. The unity of the Trinity itself is the example of how we're to live this life out. The kindness, the generosity, the beauty, the love, the affection that's within their relationship that make the one God, the Trinity, the triune God of all creation. And now that eye of kindness has not just stayed within, but has been pointed outward to you, to me. The grace, the love, the affection, the humility to come for the Son, the God, Emmanuel, with us to enter into creation, submit under us, and lift us up through his death and resurrection is the example, is the, the source that you and I need in order to go and live out a life that preserves unity through self-sacrifice. Are you scared or worried that, that, that the person you are caring for isn't going to reciprocate the love and affection you give them? Don't worry. The well of love and affection that God has opened through the cross is never ending and you drink from that now. 
right? Is the hope that you're giving not being reciprocated uh, from, from others as hope? Don't worry. The well of hope that the gospel has given us is now free to drink from. You just have to keep going back to that affection, to that love, to that care. And friends, the method, um, God, the method of motivation, okay, that, that Paul offers us is not the beauty of each other or ourselves. It's the beauty of God himself. I want you to hear that again. The method of motivation that Paul uses, the greatest method of motivation he uses, is not the beauty of each other or ourselves. It's the beauty of God himself. He's the source. He's the well we go to, we pull from. When we feel weak, when we feel in need, he's the one that sustains us. He's the one that cares. His unending flow and river of goodness and kindness never stops. It never ceases. When we give to him, he continuously gives back. When we fail to give to him, he gives anyway. He is the source of all things good in our life. And he has opened up the floodgates of his kindness to us. The question that, that becomes very jarring here is the question of really whether that's enough for us. Is that enough for us? Friend, is that enough for you? I had to ask myself this question this week. It burdened me. Is that enough for me? He, he, to put it almost in a weightier way, friend, how much do you value that goodness? How much do you value the goodness of God at work in your life? Is he, is he so valuable that when everyone else, when you have given all of yourself to everyone else and you have to retreat back, that you feel empty, do you turn to him and go, you are enough to satisfy the, the, the dryness, the desert of my soul and to make it a spring? You are enough. Is that the depth that we value God's goodness in our life at? Is that it? And hear me, if it's not, friend, I, I want to tell you, man, there's, the crazy part is that there's grace for that. Like God's goodness sees us not value his goodness and then goes, but come to me and experience my goodness even more so that you could experience the depths of it and value it even more. It's an unending love affair of God's goodness washing over us day in and day out, night in, night out. That's what we turn to and draw from as we go out and really give of ourselves to, to experience unity, but also to take the responsibility of building, cultivating, protecting unity. And once this rhythm is started, once this rhythm of accepting the call of our faith, right? Living a life of, of generosity, kindness, self-service, of, hum uh, of self-sacrifice, not self-service, not self-service, self-sacrifice, uh, of humility and gentleness and love and patience and kindness. Once this becomes a rhythm and we're depending on, on Jesus uh, to, to, to provide for us emotionally and spiritually to preserve really this unity, then then the differences that were separating us now are not bad things. They're actually beautiful things, right? They're actually beautiful. In verse seven, Paul goes on to say, now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. 
So, so, so Christ has given grace and given gifts to each one of us at a distinct measure. So he's made all of us different, unique. Your unique personality, your unique abilities and gifts were created and given to you by God. Why? Verse 8 says, for it says, it being Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to the people. Okay, so, so what is that? That that's actually comes from Psalm 68, and, and there's a lot of different interpretations here, but the one that I believe is the most accurate for what Paul is saying is that Psalm 68 was really a psalm about how God redeemed his people, and instead of holding them to himself, released them back into the world to bless others. When Paul sees this verse, he sees it as Christ now coming into the world, saving us, but instead of hoarding us for himself, sends us back into the world to be not just a, a, a gift to himself, but a gift to one another. Friend, the way you were created, the way you were formed, your personality, your abilities, they were not given to you so that you could bless yourself. They were given to you because you are a gift to others. You are a gift of God. Don't, don't walk around this, this community of faith thinking that others' abilities and gifts are the things that are meant to bless you alone. That is absolutely true, but you have been created and given to us as a church family, Refuge Community Church, because you were made in such a way that as God redeemed you and, 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 and really restored his, his character and is refining you, those beautiful gifts are now being used to bless people around you. Friend, family, we need you. Man, man like the people in your community group, they need you. The people in this church, they need you. I, I need you. You are a gift to God's people. Uh, a part of your call is, is the, the privilege of receiving the gifts of all of your brothers, but you have likewise a responsibility to use who you are, the distinct way God has made you to bless others as well. Right, right, like, like all this diversity is, is brought together. And as we begin to, to, to come together, bringing our differences to the plate, but, but really incorporating this lifestyle of being humble and gentle and patient and loving and peaceful and, and really deferring to one another, creating this unity, our gifts begin to mend together. They begin to create this diverse body that begins to build each other up here where one is lacking and another is strong and build each other up here and build each other up here and it begins to grow and each person begins to become stronger and better and, and more rooted in the faith. That, that's what Paul sees because that's what God desires to create, his body functioning well. That's what the last part of this text is actually all about. Take a look at verse 14. It says, then we will no longer be little children tossed by waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness in techniques, in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. In other words, friend, when you accept the call of the privileges God has given you in unity and the responsibility he's given you in unity, 
the body comes together and it builds itself up. Do you want to feel, do, do you want to know what it is to be anchored in faith so that, so that depression and anxiety doesn't rob you of hope? Not, again, not that those things don't exist or that this is a simple solution for all, but even in the midst of that, that there would be truths that go so far down deep that when you are swayed by depression, anxiety, by, by, by um, uh, what is it, pandemic coronavirus, by, by struggles and, and frustrations, that these things would toss us and move us in the water a little bit, yet we would not be tossed to and fro, not knowing where we are, but would be anchored in faith, hope, love, joy, peace. It happens when unity within the body occurs, each one functioning the way they should be, building the body up into what the last part of Ephesians here says grows into a maturity that starts to look more and more like Jesus. Friends, you're needed. You're needed. Again, your church community needs you. Man, friends, people that are looking for, for hope and answers need you. In John 17, Jesus literally says that our unity will be the thing that people, that, that witnesses his, his life and resurrection to others. That people would look and go, man, that's unnatural that people would treat each other like that. That's better than my own family treats each other. I want that. And then we would say, this comes with him. And then they would go, then I want him. Right? This is God's vision for you. And this is God's vision for our church. Friends, this is my hope for your life. And this is my hope for our church. And I think there's a couple of ways we can we can start heading this direction. For those of us, uh, you know, regardless across the board, I, I want to invite us to know what it means to, to come and to repent. If you feel like you look at your life and, and you know, hey, man, like, I feel like I haven't really done this well. If I'm being honest, I'm, I'm, I'm a part of the group like you, Josh, that uh, has really had a lot of self-centered attitude lately. I have not really been looking to Jesus for my sustenance and, and therefore having grace that I can then give to others. If that's you, I feel you, man. I've been there too. Like, like I want us to come together and to be able to repent and confess that, man, that's been me and I'm sorry. And to receive grace from one another that we've been given through God, by God. Right, right, like, 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 that's what I, that's what I want for us. That, that's a great first step. And then from there, to be able to step into the spaces that we're creating to still cultivate, to still live out the responsibility at unity. Man, we have community groups still going on during the week, right? Today, we have a digital meetup where we're going to come together. And I know that some of us don't like Zoom. Friend, look at me. I don't like Zoom. <laughs> I can't stand it at this point, right? Like I'm looking at the screen, I'm looking at you, I kind of want to see your face, I want to hug you, then I can't hug you, X, Y, and Z, right? We all know that feeling, it's mad frustrating. But to look and go, you know what, out of humility and gentleness, I'll submit and say, hey, yeah, let's jump on this so that I can pour in and be a part of the community that comes together to build itself up into the image of Jesus. Let's go, right? Like, like there are spaces for us to do this. And I, I want to encourage us to jump into those spaces, Right, jump into those spaces, be a part of those spaces, connect with each other, begin to walk this out. And when you fail, again, friends, there's grace for that. God forgives that. But we have to put our first step uh, toward there somehow. And as a church, we want to provide spaces for you to do that. 
And the last thing I, I want to hit on today before we, we prepare our hearts to pray and to move into worship is simply this, that if, if you are listening to this today and you have a desire, you're looking at, at these pages that talk about this humility and this gentleness, and if you're being honest in your life, you don't receive that. Maybe you grew up in a context where these characteristics were not the thing that marked your family life, your parents, man, your siblings, you yourself, but, but you hear this type of unity, this type of self-sacrifice, this type of love and affection, and you long for it, and you're saying, I want that. I want to reiterate something, that it's not something that you can leave this video from and go and just act and do and, and make. Friend, it's a free gift from, from, from the God that loves you. And so I would love to share more about how to access that gift and really what he's done for you. And if you want to know more about it, you can jump into the, the connect page I mentioned earlier and hit that you're interested in Jesus, or you can holler at me personally. I would love to hear from you. Josh at refugeaustin.com is my email. I'd love to talk with you. Friends, let's prepare our hearts to worship. Let's prepare our hearts to respond as we consider the great gift of unity, the great responsibility of unity that we've been given, the great well of generosity we're invited to partake in as we live a life to protect this unity. Let's consider God's deep goodness in our lives as we prepare hearts to worship Jesus in response to what he's done. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, your word that, that does not care necessarily about our insecurities, yet promises and challenges us, challenges us to take steps that make us uncomfortable, promising us that we will be met by love and grace unheard of in every step that we take and in every stumble that we, that we happen to take as well. God, your, your word comes and assures and challenges, that it provokes and promises all at the same time. You are good. God, today we celebrate the unity that you've given us and the responsibility, the privilege of unity and the responsibility of unity that you have put in our hands to cultivate and to experience. God, I ask that you would move on our heart, that you would root us deep in your kindness. And from there, God, that you, as Paul describes here, would motivate our heart through your goodness. That, that we would die to ourselves a little bit today in order to live to a kindness and a goodness that we could never afford to give ourselves and that we could never expect really anyone to provide for us as well, but that we would dive so deeply into that that we would come out of the water anew, washed by your goodness. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.